0: Hi, I'm Dubba. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. Ethan Hine is a music tech educator, blogger, academic, public thinker, and the inventor of the Groove Pizza. He's an adjunct professor at NYU's Music Tech program, and I met up with him in New York earlier this year to chat about his favorite music tech, the problem with music education, what's so great about Sweden, how the US understands or misunderstands UK dance music and vice versa, and the benefits of posting on the internet about the things that occur to you, about the things that you're interested in. From a relatively but not totally quiet spot in Manhattan, here's my conversation with Ethan Hine. I'm sitting in a rooftop bar in Bowery in New York uh, with adjunct professor, Mm -hmm. I believe, uh, Ethan Hine. And you're teaching at NYU, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: but also a prolific blogger on music and tech. Tell me a little bit about where that started, because you've been doing that for a long time.
1: Uh, yeah, my academic life actually kind of emerged out of my blogging life. I was like freelance music teaching and producing, and working in like digital marketing, and just had a blog for like really self promotion purposes. And then was also like, oh, but it's like a nice outlet, and you know, a lot of thoughts and opinions that my wife is sick of hearing can go like on the blog and um yeah it just sort of took on a life of its own and then when i went to grad school it turned out to be like anybody who wants to go into academia just like start the blog now because then you know stuff that was on the blog you can turn into journal articles something gets rejected from like a publication you can just stick it on the blog you don't have to feel bad about yourself like yeah it really has turned out to be this kind of rich synergy
0: Because so many people start the other way around, they think, you know, if I'm an academic, then I have uh, an opinion that has weight and value, and then I can start putting that out into the world.
1: Yeah. um, Well, and for sure, I mean, if you're already an academic, yeah, it's like a nice way to communicate with the public. But yeah, for me, it was the opposite. So where do you come into music tech
0: from? Because it's such a broad and diverse thing. What's your background?
1: Um, So I come from like rock. I'm a guitar player and I played rock and country and some jazz for many years. Um, and started producing on the computer just as like a practical you know recording on tape stopped being attractive at a certain point in the 90s right and you know making your own beats just as a practical matter and you know and then I started to get into that as like an art form unto itself not just as a way to like capture live performances Um, and then you know time passed and guitar playing opportunities dried up and producing stuff on the computer opportunities kept multiplying and uh you know finally when I wanted to go back to school and you know do music more seriously because I was sick of digital marketing um that the music technology program at NYU which I would recommend to anyone who's a disaffected pop musician who wants to find a way into academia yeah it's just the most natural home
0: When, when you say it's a music tech
1: course is it a production course specifically music tech at NYU it's like a like the field itself, it's like a pretty broad umbrella. I mean, you have people in there who are studying like traditional audio engineering. You have people in there who are writing software, like doing um, like music information retrieval. Um, you've got people who are like doing film scoring and game sound and three D audio. I mean, it's a really diverse collection of things.
0: Is it sort of divided
1: up into scientists over there, artists over here? Yeah, I mean, people can kind of specialize into their tracks, and everybody has to, you know, everybody has to do some music theory, and everybody has to do like some digital signal theory. Um, so you at least have to have kind of a grounding in both sides. But then, yeah, people specialize. Um, and I went there with the intention of like writing software, and discovered I have no business writing software. But the the education side of technology uh, really became appealing. So. So
0: from when you say the education side, do you mean actually uh, standing in front of a classroom talking to people about uh, technologies or working on research projects, or or how does it work for you?
1: So a combination of things. Um, When I My master's thesis project at NYU is this thing called the Groove Pizza, which is a web-based drum machine that is arranged in a circle, like a clock face. Um, If you go to musedlab.org slash Groove Pizza, or just Google Groove Pizza, there it is. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that if you sequence your rhythms on a kind of a clock face, um, there are all these geometries that emerge out of it that help you make sense of, like, why do you put your snares on two and four, right? Um, Why does son clave sound so good? Like when it's laid out from left to right in the usual, you know, MIDI piano roll or whatever, it seems kind of arcane. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when you see it on a circle, you're like, oh, the basic, like, funk backbeat, it just forms, like, a cross. And, like, son clave, it forms a pentagon. And if you rotate the pentagon around, you get all the different clave patterns. You know, so is this way to use technology to make a kind of previously inaccessible thing a lot more accessible and, like, discovery just through, like, playful experimentation.
0: When you say accessible, do you mean accessible to non-musicians?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm somebody who just, you know, I taught myself drum programming by trial and error, and it took me, you know, many, many years of just... Frustrated clicking around So I I was really motivated by wanting to save other people a lot of painful trial and error What's your blog about? Yeah, it started uh, as being about music technology But it has very quickly evolved into being about music education and specifically the politics of music education Because when we talk about music technology, that's usually just like a euphemism for like pop music, right? That's usually just you just mean like techno hip-hop all the pop forms that derive from those things right um, and especially in the US once you're talking about that music then you're talking about like black music and in the academy you know the academy has had a uh, it's had a slow evolution with pop music right I mean they didn't start teaching jazz in colleges in the US until the 80s mm-hmm. in any large scale way um, and rock is starting to make some inroads now but like dance music, forget it, right? And it's hard to avoid the conclusion that there's some kind of leftover institutional racism at work in the slowness with which, you know, they're willing to embrace these things, Um, which is frustrating for me because, for me, like, I like a lot of different music and the thing that all of it has in common is, like, a beat and a backbeat, right? Like, rock, country, reggae, techno, jazz, dubstep, whatever, it's all... You know beat driven music that you're supposed to dance to or at least it's descended from something that somebody at one point was dancing to hmm. and in the academy okay like literally i got asked by the lady who runs nyu's laptop ensemble which is super avant-garde she's like you know hey i'd love it if you wrote something for us I'm like oh that's awesome i've never written something for laptop ensemble she's like yeah do whatever you want just no beats and i'm like oh that's huh like
0: okay <laughs> Because something like quantize comes up in our conversations quite a lot. Uh, I was speaking with uh, Jan Bang uh, at Music Tech Fest in Stockholm in September, and one of his things was this idea of the breath in electronic music, and, uh, and a, a criticism that he heard that electronic music doesn't breathe. And one of the potential ways to address that is to just strip quantize out of it.
1: Yeah, and there's like that whole Jay Dilla like unquantized kind of thing. But like you know, whether it's quantized or not, there's still like a pulse, right? Hmm. You know, and I feel like the main thing that separates like quote art music unquote from quote dance music unquote at this point is just one of them has a beat and the other doesn't. Otherwise everybody's using Ableton, like
0: <laughs> Yeah. So um, in terms of the tools that you use, is there any in uh, in NYU is there any development of new kinds of musical interfaces or, or those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, I mean that's what the groove pizza was for and um There's a bunch of people working on these similar kinds of, um, like accessible types of interfaces, like in the, in the world of like iOS apps, there's a lot of amazing things. Um, because like for like beginners, the standard thing is like garage band, right. Or like FL studio, but like those things are not beginner level tools. Like those things are 80% of the way to like full professional, I mean, FL studio, my God, you know, half the stuff on the radio is done in FL. So... Yeah, for me and, you know, people I work with, it's like, how do we fill this gap between like ground zero and the complexity of like a garage band? Mm. Yeah, because with these things, it's not like the software is that hard to use, but like, you know, music is complicated, right? Like, so the analogy I always use is um, like Microsoft Word, right? Like Microsoft Word is not that hard, but like writing is hard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So anybody can learn Microsoft Word, but then you got to learn mm. how to write. I'm like, yeah, you can learn FL Studio, but, like, you're going to need some help on, like, the music side, you know? Mm. Um, and so can the software, instead of just giving you, like, a blank slate when you load it, can it give you some guidance as to, like, what might actually sound good? Mm. Um, like, you know this app, Figure? I don't. Know. I really love Figure. It's made by Propellerheads, who oh. also make Reason. And it only makes, like, two, four, eight-bar loops. That's all it does. And you get one drum machine, one lead synth, and one bass, but it constrains you to like even subdivisions of the bar. So you just hold your thumb down on the square and it just plays the synth, but it triggers it every quarter note, eighth note. But then you can also divide up the bar like into five or into seven, like into odd chunks. Mm-hmm. And so everything sounds good. You can't do something unmusical with it. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I've used it with like really little kids. I use it with my kids who are really small. You know with old people like p- people with developmental disabilities I mean it's very empowering just open this thing and in about ten seconds be like oh wow it's, it's, it's... oh really cool does this
0: sort of feed into the politics side of it that you're talking about this idea of uh, democratization or removing barriers to
1: access to participation those sorts of things yeah for sure I mean you know somebody who's like a professional um, producer is gonna kind of bump up against the limitations of figure pretty quickly but Yeah, for somebody who, you know, if you just sit them down in front of, like, FL Studio or Ableton or GarageBand, you know, they're just going to be terrified. Mm -hmm. But if you give them one of these apps, it's not a blank slate. Like, there's some patterns that, oh, yeah, when you load up figure, it just randomly chooses, like, instruments, rhythms... So you just hit play and stuff is coming out, mm-hmm. um, rather than it's just blank. Right. I think it's a really smart design choice.
0: I was uh, told once that the the kind of the end game for music technology interface design is to create something that nobody can be bad at, but which you could still become a virtuoso on. Is, are, are we getting close to anybody coming up with anything like that? Do you think?
1: Um, I mean, right now you have to sort of make this trade off between like accessible and like robust, right? So like the more choices you give people, the more complex your interface necessarily has to be. So like, um, you know, Serum, right? If you use Serum, there's like 10 billion parameters. And so if you're like really into synths and you know how they work, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. But if you're not really into synths, it's like totally overwhelming. And so like, you know, the Animoge app where it's like there's four knobs and then there's this XY thing, you drag your finger around. Um, That is much more my speed. Mm So what's the impact of
0: what you... I mean, I know you say you're interested in the political side of things. What's the actual sort of uh, on-the-ground application of uh, that interest? What's the impact of that?
1: Well, you know, so now what I'm trying to figure out is, like, how do you, like, get this stuff into classrooms? Because, I mean, I know in the UK they're doing a little better on this, but in the US, like, music education in public schools has not changed appreciably in, like, 100 years. Um, It's remarkable the degree to which it, like, does not change over time. And... You can sort of see, okay, I can see why 50 years ago they weren't teaching like audio production in school because it would have been too expensive and too hard, but like now it's so easy. Why aren't they doing it? And yeah, there's some of it is, oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the equipment. But at this point, it mostly is just like, do we want the kids to be expressing themselves before they learn what they're doing? You know, I come from rock and roll. It's like, here's a guitar. Here's two chords. Go write a song. Mm-hmm. But you know, in like classical music and jazz now, you're supposed to climb up the whole mountain before you're allowed to kind of express yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and so the idea that music class could be like an art class um, where you just draw your pictures, no matter how terrible they are, that is very alien to the kind of culture of music education. And yeah, I I thought it was a technology obstacle, and it is not. (laughs) It's a cultural obstacle.
0: Yeah, as so many things are. Yeah. Um, Right. are you one of these people that uh, believes that uh, not just if you get better at music, then your life is richer and it has music in it and, and so on, but if you get better at music or you teach music to kids in school,
1: that everything gets better? Yeah, I mean, there's all this malarkey about how it like makes you better at math and stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think it hurts your ability to do math, but I think that's sort of an unfortunate advocacy angle. Better to just say, like... Yeah. It's actually, the best advocacy angle I've heard is this guy, Steve Dillon, who's an Australian music educator, um, who said it's a public health measure. You know, it's more effective uh, than antidepressants. and has fewer side effects. Um, you know, especially for kids who are, you know, they're having trouble at home or, you know, they're struggling for whatever reason. I mean, music might be like the one thing in their day where they feel kind of validated as a person, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And also it's social. I mean, one of the, the main contributors to mental illness is loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so people, not just making music, but making music together, I guess, yeah. is, is something.
1: Right, and so whether you're in, like, the wind band or you're in the punk band or you're, you know, just producing hip-hop tracks with your buddy in your bedroom, yeah, absolutely a way to, like, get past the isolation.
0: What are some cool projects that you've seen uh, coming out of particularly NYU?
1: A thing at NYU that I'm really proud of is um, we got a gift from ed sullivan's grandson to start this kind of music mentorship club Uh, it was originally called the ed sullivan fellows program and now it's called core music and the idea was you know nyu has all these awesome studios and facilities that aren't really used on the weekend so on the weekend we have these young kids these rappers and producers uh coming in from like you know eastern parts of brooklyn and the bronx um and they just like set up in the studios and in classrooms and conference rooms and record tracks. And we thought we were going to be doing like all this formal education. Uh, it turns out the kids don't need it. They just need a place to do their thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for me, like I love hip hop, but I'm a real outsider to it and it's really been an education for me just getting to hang out with them and see how they work. Um, you know, and I know for them some of their lives are really hard, you know, and, uh, it's just nice for them to get to go into like a fancy recording studio and behave you know feel like they're an artist not just some kid you know Mm. Uh,
0: do you have any sense of a kind of a difference in the context of the US as opposed to say Europe and the UK
1: yeah I mean so I know you know the UK is has been trying to do this kind of pop music pedagogy um, for many decades and I know it sort of proceeded in fits and starts but uh, lucy green who 's kind of the leading voice of pop music pedagogy um, you know she uh, she 's based in the u k and she 's been writing about this stuff since the eighties mm. um, and in scandinavia they 're doing amazing things you know every school in Sweden has like a rock band in it, um, and like half the pop music producers in America are Swedish, I assume because of this awesome schooling that they get mm. um, and, you know and like Finland is doing awesome things with this um, As with so many things in education, you know, like, teachers in the U.S. are, like, looking at Finland and Sweden being like, oh, man, we are so far behind.
0: And yet everybody wants to come here once, you know, the the indicator of success is
1: uh, we we made it in America. Yeah. No, because, I mean, America's music culture is awesome. Like, our institutional culture is a nightmare, but, I mean, we have all the African-Americans, and that's where all the ideas come from, so... Yeah, it makes
0: sense. And also the sheer size of the potential audience, I guess, is, is part of that. But, but I mean, there are, there are three, I was having this conversation last night, there are three net ex- exporters of music in the world. There's the U.S., the U.K., and Sweden. Yeah. Everybody else brings right. in more music than they send out, no, economically this speaking. This is true. Um, but, uh, so, to get, basically, to get into the U.S. means you get into the world. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it's kind of the, the way you see that. But do, you, do, do the people here see that as an advantage? We're in America now, so we're already
1: sort of halfway to made it. Um I mean, it's weird, like the the formal music education world is so disconnected from like America's music culture, and like always has been right like they have, they started appreciating jazz in Europe at kind of in, in the sort of highbrow uh setting decades before they did here, mm. right and you think about rock like you know here it was a sort of low class music for, you know for like black kids and juvenile delinquents and then the Beatles and the Stones were like oh no hey like everybody could enjoy this uh, and then techno right like it comes out of these black clubs in Chicago and you know New York and, and it's really like the Germans and the Brits who are like oh guys kind of, let's reflect your own stuff back at you um, so yeah I definitely think a lot of this stuff is appreciated in Europe much more than it's appreciated I mean we financially support it right like, but yeah we definitely don't give it
0: a lot of love. Yeah. EDM, for instance, which has come to mean something specific here that it didn't mean when it kind of, uh, you know, was sort of in tiny clubs in the UK. It's sort of the the cultural interpretation of what a particular type of music is about I think is really interesting. For sure. Um, But uh, in terms of the interfaces, just to go back to the political dimension of that, is there, do you think, a political dimension to the way in which interfaces are designed uh, that uh, that reflect, you know, that actually have an impact on, you know, who can make music and, and so on?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I know like software developers tend to not think in these terms, but um, I've befriended a lot of people at Ableton, and I love Ableton. Like, I'm not on their payroll, but like, I just think it's like one of the coolest things that's ever existed. And they, you know, they taught me a lot about music because the whole premise of the thing is that you're using existing recordings as like raw material for new music. Like, you're literally just playing these loops as an instrument. And I suppose you could do that a hundred percent with like royalty free loops, but that's not what you use it for right? You use it for like manipulating copyrighted samples. That's like a pretty strong statement about like who owns all this material, right, and what is it for? Do you think there's a
0: place for academia to have a voice in that debate about, uh, you know, things like, for instance, copyright reform and ownership and all the rest of it? Is there an advocacy role
1: for the academic or is it purely critic? Uh, I mean, I wish. Like, um, yeah, you know, again, there's just not a lot of hip hop and not a lot of techno in the academy at the moment. Um, and a lot of the hip hop scholarship comes out of, like, English departments or like ethnomusicology or history or African-American studies, like the musicians are not embracing it yet. Uh, Hopefully that'll change. Is there something in music education? I mean, I think of somewhere
0: like uh, Berkeley, for instance, which is about teaching musicians to be musicians. Is is there any of that sort of um, finding its way into the the kind of the the ethos of, you know, not just
1: how to be a musician, but why to be a musician? Uh, Yeah. I mean, the wind is blowing in that direction. So, um, I teach at NYU and I also teach at Montclair State University, which is like the biggest state school in New Jersey, the only one in New Jersey. And you know, their music school is excellent, but it's a super traditional uh, conservatory. However, in the past few years, they started requiring everybody to take intro to music tech. So the performance majors, education majors, the composition majors, everybody has to take it. Um, And I mean, I use that class as an opportunity to say like, hey guys, it's been a lot of water under the bridge in the past 50 years, you know, um, yeah, you really have an opportunity to rethink like what musical creativity even is. And sure, you can go back to being a flute performance major after this class is over and do what you want, but at least you have an opportunity to say, oh, wow, but I could also like make beats with my phone, huh? Um,
0: The, you mentioned when you, when we started and we were talking about your blog is you started this as a kind of I guess personal brand not the word you use yeah. but it's it's kind of that's how it, it came across For sure. and the extension of that was to get into academia what's the end game how, how do you know when you won <laughs>
1: um, so I'm working on a PhD right now should be done in a year or two and then hopefully we'll just have like more of a platform uh, this is sad but like you get a lot more of your emails returned when you're like I'm a professor of music rather than I'm some guy with a lot of opinions uh-huh. Um so, yeah, I mean, definitely having the credential opens a lot of institutional doors and just gets people listening to you who wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, but why? I mean, what 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 are you trying to get out of it as a result? Oh, I mean, I just, like, my music education when I was a kid was a bummer. Like, it was really not good. Um, it was all classical music, and it, not only did it bore me but it convinced me that I wasn't even musical and it took me years of like self-directed effort to like find my way back in through like the back door of rock and roll and I know way too many people who have that same experience and so yeah I would just like it if kids were getting to be creative at school you know I'm very idealistic that way Mm. like I would like it if school music was like more empowering for more kids is it ultimately the book yeah totally for sure um and you know i've had an opportunity now to start doing some like teacher training some like you know professional development um and to get to teach some like music education students some like future teachers and that's like the work that's really exciting to me you know because i feel like that like that's like a force multiplier you get the future teachers and then they go in the world and they're doing the work too you know do you get to also be the musician as part of this yeah i mean i'm an old guy with kids now so i'm definitely not like out in the clubs but i uh I'm constantly, like, busting out tracks and putting them on SoundCloud. And um, I like to uh, remix student projects. It's, like, a really good way to critique them instead of verbally, like, hey, this would sound better with, like, a heavier kick drum. Just, like, stick it in Ableton and put a heavier kick drum under it. Uh So people get to hear what their work would
0: sound like if it was better. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I can empathize with that, absolutely. Ethan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cheers. That's Ethan Hine, and that's the MTF podcast, the last one for 2019, in fact. I'm going to be back in the new year with more interesting people who have fascinating insights into the world of music, technology, innovation, AI, narrative, ethics, songwriting, handmade crafts, rights, policy, and all the other stuff we talk about here. And hopefully, if you haven't heard all 60 episodes yet... Here's your chance to catch up. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your year. Have a fantastic holiday season, whatever holidays you happen to enjoy, wherever you happen to enjoy them. And I'll catch you back here in the new year. Cheers.